Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. financial results conference call and webcast. All lines are placed on the listen-only mode and the floor will be open for questions and comments following the presentation. If you should require assistance throughout the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad to reach a live operator. At this time, it is my pleasure to turn the floor over to your host, Stephen Kilmer. Sir, the floor is yours. An apology. Let me start by pointing out that this conference call will include forward-looking statements regarding Profound and its business, which may include, but is not limited to, expectations regarding the efficacy of Profound's technology in the treatment of prostate cancer, EPH, uterine fibroids, and palliative pain. Often, but not always, forward-looking statements can be identified by the use of, word, use of words such as plans, as expected, expects, scheduled, intends, contemplates, anticipates, believes, proposes, or variations, including negative variations of such words and phrases, or state that certain actions, events, or results may, could, would, might, will be taken, occur, or be achieved. Such statements are based on the current expectations of management. The forward-looking events and circumstances discussed in this conference call may not occur by certain specified dates or at all and could differ materially as a result of known and unknown risk factors and uncertainties affecting the company, including risks regarding the medical device industry, economic factors, the equity markets generally, and risks associated with growth and competition. Although Profound has attempted to identify important factors that could cause actual um, actions, events, or results to differ materially from those described in forward-looking statements, there may be other factors that cause actions, events, or results to differ from those anticipated, estimated, or intended. No forward-looking statement can be guaranteed, except as, guaranteed by, except as required by applicable securities laws. Forward-looking statements speak only as of the date on which they are made, and Profound undertakes no obligation to publicly update or revise any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, as, uh, other than as required by law. On the call today representing the company are Dr. Arun Menawat, Profound's Chief Executive Officer, and Aaron Davidson, the company's Chief Financial Officer and Senior Vice President of Corporate Development. With that said, I'll now turn the call over to Aaron. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our third quarter 2020 conference call. On behalf of the management team and everyone at Profound, I would like to thank you for your ongoing interest in our company. And for those of you who are shareholders, we appreciate your continued support. I'll turn the call over to Arun in a moment for an update on our commercial activities. However, before I do, I'd like to provide a brief update on our third quarter 2020 financial results. To streamline things, all the numbers I will mention have been rounded and are therefore approximate. For the three-month period ended September 30th, 2020, the company recorded revenue of $3 million, an increase of 337% from $682,000 in the third quarter of 2019. Expenditures for research and development increased $1.3 million for the three months ended September 30th, 2020 compared to the same period in 2019. The increase was attributed to higher spending on materials and R&D projects for technology improvements and upgrades, options awarded to employees and R&D personnel, 
in addition to the ineligibility of scientific research and education, uh, scientific research and experimental development or shred credits, tax credits from the Government of Canada. This was offset by decreases in consulting fees and travel. General and administrative expenses for the third quarter of 2020 were higher by $427,000 compared to the three months ended September 30th, 2019. The increase was attributed to higher salaries, option awards, uh, options awarded to employees, insurance costs associated with being NASDAQ listed, and software costs due to COVID-19 and annual subscriptions. This was offset by decreases in consulting fees associated with one-time NASDAQ listing costs incurred in 2019, and travel expenses related to COVID-19 restrictions. Overall, the company recorded a third quarter 2020 uh, net loss of $8.1 million, or 43 cents per common share, compared with a net loss of $6.3 million, or 57 cents per common share for the same three-month period uh, in 2019. During the third quarter of 2020, we closed an un underwritten offering of common shares, including the full exercise of the underwriter's overlotment option, resulting in aggregate gross proceeds of approximately $46 million U.S. Net proceeds will be used to fund the commercial launch of Tulsa Pro in the U.S. and the continued commercialization of Tulsa Pro and Sonoleaf globally. As of September 30, 2020, Profound had cash of $110.4 million. I'd like to close by saying that our performance this quarter speaks to the strength of our technology and our business model, but we remain cautious in the near term, mainly due to the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Arun. Thank you, Aaron. As we mentioned in today's press release, announcing the Q3 results, our recent financing, combined with the increasing interest in our technology from opinion-leading hospitals and independent imaging centers, enables us to strategically and responsibly lay the groundwork to drive significant adoption of the Tulsa procedure. We're bolstering our management team, field force, clinical development programs, and manufacturing capacity. With respect to adding talent, we recently welcomed two very experienced senior management team members. Jacques Cornier, our new VP of Marketing and Business Development, is leading patient recruitment and digital marketing strategies, as well as relationships with our MR partners. Jacques joins us from Philips, where he was VP of Sales and Marketing of one of the healthcare divisions. He has more than 25 years of experience in global leadership roles, in-depth knowledge of global imaging systems market, including healthcare IT, and a broad network of contacts at leading edge hospitals and healthcare organizations within the United States. Most importantly, Jacques and I have worked together in the past and have known each other personally for over 20 years. Welcome, Jacques. In addition, 
I'm very pleased to welcome Michael Maidra, who joins us as of Monday as VP, Head of Global Market Access, and will take an, on the dedicated role of leading Kalsas reimbursement strategies. Michael joins us from Boston Scientific, where he was the VP of Global Market Access and Reimbursement for all of the company's Eurologic products. Prior to that, Michael led reimbursement strategies at Augmentix, which developed the Spacer device to reduce side effects associated with prostate cancer. Michael has more than 20 years of startup and large company medical device and health plan reimbursement experience. Welcome, Michael. The senior management team at Profound reflects a good mix of relevant experience and homegrown talent, resulting in a full complement of the necessary skill sets and experience to support profound success. And I feel particularly honored to lead such a high-performance team. As you probably know, our U.S. market entry strategy includes three types of end users. We continue to see traction among early adopters, which includes urologists specializing in cutting-edge alternative prostate disease treatment. The second group includes independent imaging center companies, such as RedNet, which I'm pleased to report is still on track to treat their first patient in the current quarter, despite initially experiencing delays related to COVID-19. The third group is comprised of opinion-leading teaching hospitals, and we are delighted with the caliber and the number of hospitals that are now offering the Tulsa procedure. I invite you to visit our tulsaprocedure.com website to see the list of centers offering the Tulsa procedure, which is updated regularly. As you can see today, the site now includes the Mayo Clinic, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, and Wellspan Advanced Prostate Cancer Center. We also have additional contracts that are not in public domain yet, but that we expect to be operational by the end of this year. We will be adding them to the TulsaProcedure.com website as they begin treating patients. Continued traction in the early adopters segment, progress in imaging center segment, and an impressive group of top-tier hospitals adopting the technology is also an early indicator of our core recurring revenue business model is working. I would now like to provide an update on the clinical front. Four important studies were published in Q3 that have added to the evidence establishing Tulsa Pro as a safe, effective, and flexible tool for customized ablation of prostate disease. 
First, the 12-month outcomes of our TAC pivotal clinical trials, which supported FDA appearance of the Telsa Pro last year, was published in the Journal of Urology, the official journal of the American Urological Society Association. This marks an important milestone for Profound as the publication establishes Telsa Pro as a minimally invasive procedure for effective prostate cancer ablation with a favorable side effect profile, minimal impact on quality of life, and low rate of residual disease. Second, three-year follow-up data from the phase one safety and precision study of Tulsa Pro were published demonstrating durability of safety, efficacy, quality of life, and functional outcomes, as well as predictability of oncological follow-up based upon early imaging and PSA, all without precluding any potential salvage treatment options. PSA at three years was stable at 0.8 nanograms per milliliters with repeat biopsy findings consistent with those previously reported at 12 months. From years one to year three, there were no new serious adverse events and new onset or mild adverse events were rare with little or no change in urinary, sexual, or bulk quality of life. From my perspective, results at the end of one year seem to be a good predictor of results after three years of ablative treatment. Third, I will review early data from a prospective study of Telsa Pro in 10 BPH patients. Urinary function improved during the initial three-month follow-up among the first seven patients treated with no adverse events seen on sexual or bowel functions. The average international prostate symptom score, or IPPS, decreased from 17.7 to 4.6. Quality of life, IPPS, I'm sorry, IPSS decreased from 4.3 to 1.0, and peak flow rates, or QMAX, increased from 11.5 to 26.8 milliliters per second. Granted that the number of patients treated so far is small. These are outstanding results, and in line with improvements that we have seen even in patients who receive the Tulsa procedure primarily for prostate cancer. We are also looking forward to more data in a larger number of subjects as the study is ongoing and will recruit a total of 40 patients. Finally, investigators at Turku University Hospital in Finland have published results from an investigator-initiated clinical trial 
demonstrating the safety and feasibility of Delsapro for palliation of severe urinary retention and intractable hematuria in men suffering from symptomatic localized advanced prostate cancer. Prior to undergoing the TELSA procedure, all 10 men had continuous catheterization and gross hematuria or blood loss requiring frequent hospitalization. At one year post-TELSA, 80% of men had improved catheterization, 70% were completely catheter-free, and 100% were free of gross hematuria or blood loss. Notably, and importantly, the average hospitalization time from local complications reduced from 7.3 days in six months period before TELSA to only 1.4 days in the six months period after palliative TELSA. In conclusion, the body of evidence that TELSA Pro is a versatile and flexible technology that can be deployed in customized ablative treatments of prostate disease continues to grow and profound remains committed to supporting significant additional studies and building the evidence base for TELSA in the future. To that end, we are extending the TAC trials for the TAC trial for another 35 patients to achieve a total number of patients treated to 150. The Johns Hopkins University and UCLA are among two of the sites that are already recruiting in this study. It is a core strategy of our company to continue to support additional clinical trials, both in the United States and other parts of the world, and we plan to announce additional trials as protocols are finalized. So, to summarize, first, I would like to echo Aaron's concluding comments that there remains significant uncertainty with respect to the Tulsa procedure's adoption rate in the very near term, primarily due to COVID-19. However, we are energized with the performance in Q3, particularly with respect to the new sites that have now started their Tulsa programs. Second, we have strengthened our leadership team and are investing in increasing our capacity to grow the business. And third, we are delighted with the recent clinical publications and the reinitiation and continuation of the TAC trial. This ends our prepared remarks for today. With that, we're happy to take any questions that you might have. Operator, please proceed. Thank you. The floor is now open for questions. If you do have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad at this time. If your question has been answered, you can remove yourself from the queue by pressing 1. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's star 1. And our first question comes from Raj Denoy from Jeffries. Go ahead. 
Uh, hi, good afternoon. Um, I wonder if, uh, Arun, maybe I could start with um, any changes on the reimbursement front. You know, there have been um, some talk of some hospitals um, using established codes to try and bill for the Tulsa procedure, and yet we hadn't heard whether that had been successful or not, or they had been paid under those codes. Have you, do you have any updates you want to share today? Raj, I think I can only share today that uh, certainly the newer hospitals that we're signing up are continuing to think that the uh, recommendation that we're making is uh, consistent with their thinking. Um, uh, we're also hearing that there are certain other ancillary codes that they can use in addition to the C code that we are recommending. So I would I don't have any update with respect to the number of patients that may have been where these codes have been used as of yet. I would say, and to be honest, I didn't expect that we would be there by now. So I would say, you know, we'll update you in the year-end call, and I do think that by that time, we will have a better update on that front for you. Okay, that's that's helpful. Um, maybe just a, a second question. You know, you mentioned the pipeline for new sites uh, is still pretty healthy into the back half of the year or the, the rest of the year, right? We only have a, a month or so, two months left. Um, yeah. Do you have a sense of where, where you might settle out this year? You know, you mentioned you're at six sites. I think you also said, though, in your prepared remarks that you'll add them when they start treating. So, you know, when do you think we'll get additional sites that will be treating patients? Um, Raj, I think originally what, what uh, when the COVID thing just started, I, I think our team, we all felt that three to six months was a good time frame in terms of sort of movement backwards. And based on Q3 performance, we kind of felt like, okay, it could be closer to three months rather than six. But again, because of resurgence, I'm a little bit concerned Having said that, I do think that it's possible that we could get to up to 10 sites this year. But I would say still, you know, it's not a commitment to be cautious, but we certainly have, you know, additional agreements. And if the hospitals remain open and we can install and train, you know, it's certainly possible. Okay, that's helpful. Um, I'll leave it there for others, so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. And our next question comes from Andre Unin. Go ahead, Andre. Good afternoon, Hi, this Andre. Is, hi, this is Toby Ma for Andre Audin. Um, I just have uh, two questions. Uh, first, a question for Arun. Uh, I, uh, I was wondering if you can talk about the uh, average number of uh, procedures performed per week per uh, per image center in Q3, and how was that number in Q3 compared to the uh, second quarter and the first quarter? And then my second question is for uh, Aaron. And um, the um, R&D expense increased in Q3, so how should we think about uh, R&D expense in Q4 and the next year? And I uh, will stop here. Thank you. Sure. Um, let me answer your question from the perspective of per site. So certainly the number of total number of procedures in Q, uh, in this last quarter, Q3, is higher than what we had in Q2. But I think that, again, because we're in startup and all of these macro factors, at the moment, the way we look at it is what's the utilization per site, which we think is actually quite meaningful. And I think that we are fairly comfortable that, you know, originally we thought that the first 12 months of the site will be approximately 40 procedures. I think 
at the last call, we talked about that maybe that number is closer to 50. I think at the moment, we're probably feeling that number might actually be closer to 60, 65 for the year. So uh, the, the patients continue to be treated. Um, the sites continue to, to increase the variety of patients they're treating. Uh, so I think that might sort of answer your question overall basis, that the, the, rate, the trajectory is certainly uh, in the direction of additional procedure. And again, I think with all of the, these metro factors, there might be you know, some minor ups and downs, and we will obviously ride through it. But uh, you know, I think in the long haul, you know, achieving uh, higher numbers than what I talked about you know, 12 months after we installed is we still continue to think that those are, are you know, realistic goals. Aaron, you might want to go with your question. Our next question comes from Josh Jennings from Cohen. Go ahead, Josh. I'm not yeah, sure. Josh, should, should I? This is. Yeah, go ahead. Josh. Yeah, sorry. This is uh, this is actually Neil on for Josh. Um, yes, yeah, so I think uh, a couple of my questions got answered already, but um, I guess one thing I was going to ask is just about the. I guess the payment per procedure model, like how that's uh, potentially enhancing the sales process, if you have any color or updates there. Yeah, no, we're happy to. Um, you know, I think that it's actually a great question because when we started uh, uh, marketing Tulsa in, and we treated our first patient in January this year, you know, at the time, you know, our VP of sales, Abby, she was, you know, she and Aaron sort of had joined hands to uh, come up with a business model that was much more flexible. You know, if the hospital wanted to, you know, rent the system, uh, we were prepared to do that and so on. And you do that, obviously, when you start. But based upon the feedback that we received, the utilization that we're seeing, we have gone strictly to a recurring revenue model now. And that is the only option that our sales team is offering to the market. And generally, the agreements at the moment are all, you know, 7,000 or higher per patient. And, you know, I think your, your smart analysts and investors, you know, prices can go up and down a little bit. I would be a little bit conservative in modeling, but at least at the moment, they're all in, in you know, seven or higher range. Um, uh, and, and in addition to, you know, the, the business model, we are much more uh, rigorous in the way we present the, the, the model in the sense that the profound genius services the, is the way really we are presenting. And that is an all-inclusive model where we support them with very strong clinical scientists up front. And these scientists are not just there to support the cases, but they're there to help them conduct a variety of cases. So they can start with a salvage prostate and then move to uh, a whole lens prostate and move to a higher risk patient and so on and so on. And I think that strategy that we're using is partly designed to ultimately drive utilization 
Uh, we're also through our um, uh, telesubprocedure.com website and additional efforts underway, helping with patient recruitment and, and so on. Uh, we have added reimbursement support with Mike Migra joining us as well. So there is a set of, of offering, and we are offering this as a bundled service with, with this recurring revenue charge. That's the model that we've settled on. Aaron, do you have any other comments? Um, yeah, I would just say that we have a single deal that uh, was our first or our second deal that was not a 100% paper procedure. It was rental and uh, paper procedure. Since then, we've only done paper procedure. We don't anticipate doing anything else. And Arun's being conservative on the amount we, um, our price, our, our price has been $7,710 per procedure consistently. Um, Arun's saying, you know, over time with uh, volume commitments and things that may, there may be somebody trying to negotiate hard and we'll listen, but uh, <clears throat> that's the model and we're very pleased with it. We're making great progress. There, you know, we believe that model in these times is a real winner and that the barriers to entry for a new program to start up are minimal. You know, the capital requirements associated with our equipment and that have been relieved and we're being very choosy as to where we want to set up to make sure we're confident they're going to be a high utilization site. And uh, long term, we want to own it and it's in their best interest because through our profound genius services model, we're going to make sure they have very successful procedures, happy positions and happy patients. And our next question comes from Frank Pakenen from um, Lake Street Capital. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my questions. Just a couple for you here today. Um, starting on the sales funnel, I heard your commentary about um, potentially getting to 10 by the end of the year, albeit with a little bit of uncertainty due to COVID. But was hoping you could talk about the funnel on a little bit longer term basis and see what kind of sight line you can give us into potentially how many sites you could be looking at for 2021. And if you could even go even a little bit more granular into where you're seeing the majority of that interest, whether that's imaging centers, teaching hospitals, or uh, specialized urologists. Uh, sure, Frank. Good afternoon. Uh, I'll, I'll share a couple of thoughts, but I think Aaron might want to chime in as well at some point. Um, so, Frank, I think the way, what our, I'll just quickly go over 2020 strategy. And the strategy really was, you know, let's start with the early adopters who are uh, current users of alternate technologies and then see if we can get traction with them. And then with the imaging center strategy to see, you know, all of the hypothesis that we put together in 2019, can we convert that into reality? And at the same time, we felt that we needed to have opinion-leading sites because it, for the long haul, it drives credibility and, and so on. So this is the three-prong approach that we are taking. And we feel so far that the, this, this strategy is working. And so the guidance that we provided to our sales team is that we want to then start to see additional um, adoption in each of these three 
you know, I call them channels or you could call them segments, but we would like to see additional adoption in each of these. And I think going forward, that is more than likely what you will see in next year, that additional imaging center sites um, uh, with even larger companies will continue to come on. There is in our pipeline additional early adopters who are uh, who have now seen it enough and are uh, quite excited about starting their own programs. And I think now that we have traction with some of the opinion leading sites, we do have a pipeline of uh, other other teaching hospitals, and you'll hear about them, you know, within the next uh, you know 90 days or so. And so I think I I cannot give you specific numbers. But what I can tell you is the fact that, you know, we started out in this difficult year, the COVID year, uh, the fact that we are gaining traction, even as the window opened a little bit in the third quarter, that we were able to get a number of contracts signed. Uh, you know, it gives us confidence, but at the moment, it doesn't give us the ability to really forecast the numbers yet. And again, Aaron, you might have additional comments. I actually don't have a lot to add other than, well, we're, you know, we think commercially long-term are the bigger commercial opportunity is in the imaging centers. We're pleasantly seeing a high level of activity at uh, academic and opinion leader sites and believe we're carefully selecting those sites as well, the ones that we believe for the most part will be high volume centers as well. And so we're, you know, we're optimistic at this point. Got it. And then I apologize, I was jumping between calls, but I heard you right at the tail end talking about uh, the tax, the extension of the tax trial. So just wanted to follow up on what you said there exactly. I want to say you said another 35 patients being enrolled and then uh, the timeline around that as well as how that coincides with um, applying for a temporary reimbursement code. Yeah. Um, so, you, Frank, you're right. The the idea is that we will we want to be able to uh, do a dual, you know, a, a parallel approach where we continue to have additional publications, and we need a certain number of patients, particularly U.S. patients, and and all of this is designed to be able to apply for a CPT code, uh, you know, at the right time. Um, in parallel to that, and I explicitly on purpose spend more time uh, today uh, on the clinical side because the clinical data is now starting to come out and it, it is, as you could hear from us, is, is, is you know, quite, quite impressive. So I think what you will see is we will, by extending this trial, it sort of shortens the time that we need to be able to apply for the CPT code rather than having to do a separate trial. But at the same time, we think to drive coverage where the payers have, you know, significant evidence so that paying property for this procedure is, becomes, you know, a, a straightforward decision for them, we will continue to do additional trials. And I think you will hear from us every quarter now on advancement on clinical data as well as new trials that were started. Uh, so that's, that's the, certainly uh, the CPT code is the main, main uh, purpose behind it. 
And you, to your second part of your question, uh, these additional clinical trials and the fact that you saw the variety of different uh, publications. So you heard me talk about the fact that we're even now are able to use this technology on patients who are palliative. And certainly we have a number of patients who have been treated who are radio recurrent cases. We have treated on um, uh, advanced prostate cancer as well as uh, mid-level prostate cancer and those what we call extreme BPH. All of this is designed to ultimately achieve, you know, broad coverage. And that's our strategy. Okay, that makes sense. And then if I could just sneak one more in. Um, R&D was up this quarter, and uh, as expected, as you guys are investing in the business and products and trials and whatnot, um, so completely understand that. Um, but just curious on how you're feeling about R&D on a go-forward basis. Do you feel the 4.7 as more of a baseline, or was there maybe some one-off expense in there where we could see that uh, come in a little bit over the next quarter as well as 2021? Aaron, I appreciate it. You could take that question. Yeah. So with the financing in July, the part of the discussion around that was accelerating the support for reimbursement through clinical trials and accelerating the generational improvement of our system. So there will be some uptick in both uh, engineering R&D and clinical trial R&D over the course of the next uh, 18 months. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for taking my questions and uh, congrats on all the progress this course. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Raul from Raymond James. Go ahead. Hi, Raul. Uh, hi, good afternoon, Aaron. Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, so I guess my first question is, is, you know, I noticed that you're starting to break out revenue uh, based on uh, product uh, recurring revenue and service. Now, recognizing that, of course, the model has been evolving with time, and, of course, that's going to become more resolved. Are you able to provide us with a, you know, let us know how are we supposed to think about the, the numbers that we're seeing right now? Because if I back them out, it, doesn't, it seems like an underestimate of what your actual, actual utilization rate is. So maybe you can give us a little more clarity there. Yeah. So Rahul, we've we've actually that's consistent the way we've been breaking out. If you go back through them, the quarterly materials, I would tell you I wouldn't read too much into it yet. We're not providing guidance at this point. And I wouldn't read too much into it because, frankly, some of those lines are a little confusing between a European model that isn't per procedure but is per disposable and capital, uh, Japanese revenues that are capital and disposables, and then uh, U.S. numbers that are almost all procedure revenue. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a year before uh, we'll or so before we'll, we'll be able to point to it and be able to educate, you know, be a little more descriptive. Um, it, it's just a little too lumpy at this point. We don't want to confuse people with lumpy revenue between the various buckets. Uh, what the capital sales, when you have a capital sale in Japan or something, it creates very lumpy revenue. Uh, if you were to break it down too much and try to read too much into it, I would look more at sites installed and under contract and treating, and I would look at revenue more generically. 
and then in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll be able to pro hopefully be able to start giving you more granular understanding. But at this point, we don't want to we don't want the lumpiness to be misleading to people. Right, right. That that makes sense. Thanks so much. And then, so my second question then is, you know, Arun, it was great to sort of hear a little more about the data that's being you know, been being published over the last quarter. Uh, and now with the broadened utility uh, in BPH and in salvage patients, um, are you hearing from the existing sites that they are also uh, starting to, you know, use the use the device more more broadly and need other indications in uh, patient pay procedures? Um, and and also just going to show on a second question in there is that, you know, uh, the, the R&D burn uh, has gone up a little bit and should we be thinking about that, uh, be, you know, continuing to be a little bit higher because you are continuing to support uh, that R&D and those, and those additional clinical trials? Uh, yes, Raul. So, you know, I think um, your sh the short answer to your question is yes. Um, but, again, the question is that in the U.S. we only have, you know, two sites with more than six months and the third site with about a quarter worth of experience. But uh, even the newer sites, I think there is beginning to be recognition that this is a very flexible technology. Certainly the current sites, the older sites, are using the product for BPH and for a variety of prostate cancer. Uh, so yes, I think the, 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 the breadth or the flexibility of the technology is certainly one of the reasons why, as I was saying before, you know, I think that the actual utilization is slightly better than what we had originally you know, anticipated. Uh, and I think based upon this data, um, I do think that we should, you know, our strategy certainly is to, uh, as part of our profound genius services, to continue to educate our sites to help them broaden the use of the technology. Um, with respect to your second question on the R&D stem, so on, I think Aaron is better suited than I am. Okay, uh, thanks, Rune. So, uh, Rahul, I would say twofold. One, I'll, I'll go back for one second, and I'd say we're seeing a very nice, consistent feedback that sites who even start treating with cancer, patients come back and say, gee, thanks for treating my cancer, doc, but my BPH, this is amazing. It's resolving all my BPH symptoms, or most of them as well. It's been a fairly consistent message we hear over and over, and it's just nice to see and it builds confidence in the physician and in us in BPH as a market opportunity. And it, in the physician's hands, they see that, hear that from the patient. It's very positively self-reinforcing. Um, secondly, on the stand, as I was mentioning with um, Cowan's questions, you will see us, we have made a conscious decision, and you saw it in uh, the press release and in the prepared remarks, we have made a conscious decision to increase our level of investment in R&D and sales and marketing over the course of the next 12 to 18 months after completing our financing in July. You will see an uptick in our spending there. We believe it's very uh, careful, well thought out investments to support and accelerate growth. That's great. Thanks very much for including me in the, in the question, Kim. Thanks, Rahul. We really appreciate your interest. And we have another question from Raj 
Denoy from Jeffries. Go go ahead. One moment. You're live. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah. Apologies for coming back in, but I just wanted to clear something up. So, you know, in the in the paper procedure revenue that you reported, you know, it was about a hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars Canadian dollars. You know, if one looks at that on a you know procedure basis, given that you mentioned they're seventy-seven hundred and ten dollars um, U.S. for a procedure. Um, that equates to about 13 procedures, if I'm doing the math correctly. And so, one, is that right? Uh, um, and then, and then no, when you think about – No. Okay. Yeah, no, I just that math that. doesn't so work because one of our first sites – and remember, we only had two, three sites really doing procedures in a meaningful way, and now we have more ones coming on. One of them was a rental and per procedure at a lower rate. So – Unfortunately, right now, the small numbers are confusing things. It will take 12 to 18 months before you can start reading into those numbers. Okay. Um, right. Okay, that's because some of that revenue is being yeah. some of that revenue is being recorded as rental and not in that bucket. So it's confusing. I apologize. Unfortunately, right, it's, right. it was right after that we locked in and said, okay, no more rentals. We're only doing paper procedures. But right now, it's a, it's um, it's skewing the numbers inappropriately if you and, try and to read I, into it. Understood. Um, but I guess what might clear it up is if you would, would perhaps give us some directionality in terms of what procedures are actually doing. Um, I, I doubt you'll go there, but, but, you know, is that something you could provide in terms of how many procedures you actually did in the quarter? Again, I think yeah, we're a little early for that. Time. I think in the course yeah. of the next 12 to 18 months we'll do that. We will. Okay. And I think today we can only show you that real numbers are significantly higher than what you just mentioned. Yeah. Understood. Okay, appreciate it. Just wanted to clear it up. Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's star one to ask a question. And there appear to be no further questions. I would now like to turn the floor back over to management for any closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. Um, sorry, the start was a little bit messed up, but um, uh, we are, you know, um, looking forward to updating you, I guess, at the year-end call next year. Thank you. Thank you. This does conclude today's conference. We thank you for your participation. You may disconnect your lines at this time and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.